Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You guys saw that uh, that clip of Chris Kreider grabbing the iPad from me because Zibanejad's hands and slamming it on the bench behind him because Zibanejad was looking at the uh, the breakaway chance that he missed. That was uh, that's essentially me at the start of every podcast getting Evan to put his phone away. That uh, won't happen. No, it is impossible. He actually Evan has come with decoy phones before. I've tossed his phone. I've actually I've thrown you. You'll remember I've thrown his phone case across the room. <laughs> it will never slow him down. A little for a while. He brought you brought your laptop. What happened to that? Uh, Catherine is using it for school. Uh, so now I don't have a laptop. Of naturally, you just consume everything via your phone, huh? No, I have my computer. Right, but you're not going to bring your whole tower here. No, absolutely. Not. Yeah, that's Evan. Thank you both for putting up with the mayhem in my house today. <laughs> an extra dog, an extra baby in the house. Shout out to Elliot. Pretty cool. You know baby. who you're talking to, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know you know. This is downright calm. <laughs> it, it, nothing has phased me one bit other than I walked in, got a little excited because I saw an unrecognized dog. I'm like, oh, you're new. That dog is a golden retriever. So essentially, it's essentially Brad in dog form. All right, folks, uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. This is going to be an interesting podcast. We have a couple really notable pieces of content, which are on a recurring basis. First, uh, as is annual tradition, we've, we have um, Will Scouch of Scouching Back to talk about draft prospects. And uh, as also is annual tradition, we talk about how the Leafs lost in the first round. So uh, mm-hmm. a lot of like recurring content today. Uh, and of course, we'll talk to you a little bit about the Red Wings news as there is. And uh, we'll go from there. There's Red Wings news? Yeah, kind of. I feel like we've reached like that point in the offseason where it's like, there's Red Wings stuff to talk about, but it probably won't take long. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> nothing. The world didn't fall down. Anyhow, welcome to the Wind Wheel Podcast. Always about the Red Wings, no matter what. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the podcast, like I mentioned, uh, a little bit of Red Wing stuff. Uh, Cider is uh, making waves at the World Championships. And I actually want to give an update on awards voting because you all mentioned it. Uh, A couple of people had questions about that. Uh, We'll get right into our interview with Will Scouch of Scouching to talk about the 2022 NHL draft. A lot of, I think, really interesting, unique takes, which is going to blow the discussion wide open for eighth overall for the Red Wings. Uh, We'll come back. We'll talk about the many playoff series that have concluded. a couple of game sevens will be played literally as we're recording right now. So never say we're not dedicated Two two Rangers penguins as we speak. Thank you. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some betting Three on- two Rangers or penguins Rangers who, as we speak, who scored the third. Goal? I don't know. It's the end of the second. Uh, okay. So penguins are winning. Uh, the last goal was scored with like three minutes left. It's not helpful. Evan, <laughs> who's winning the game? Penguins. Pittsburgh. I penguins. said Pittsburgh yeah. first. Yeah. You say the guy, the team with the less goals first. You kind of stumbled over your words there. Chandler. Well, it, you said it the one way, and then I just started saying it how you said it, but then it was reversed. So there we go. This is we're, this is just prototypical us right here. Yeah, it was I, a shorthanded goal. Ooh, ooh. 
And then we'll we'll look into uh, some betting odds moving into the final three rounds of the final three rounds, the next three rounds of the playoffs. Um, before all that, I want to again call out uh, all of your incredible work over this past season through Wings Money on the Board, which is an, an initiative started uh, by us alongside our good friend uh, of the podcast, Prashanth Iyer, to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation. The way it worked is you make pledges based on what the Red Wings did or didn't do all season. It could have been power play goals. It could have been funny looks that uh, Jacob Rana made on the bench. It could have been the amount of times Evan looked down at his phone and you pledge however much you wanted to and you made your donations uh, when uh, their season was wrapped up at the very latest. And you all have helped raise over $29,000 for the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which is just absolutely remarkable. Um, we can't wait to do this again next year. For those for the pledges still coming in, thank you. Within uh, a couple weeks of the Calder voting being uh, the Calder results being announced we will send out prizes and things but um sincerely thank you and uh, check out jamiedanielsfoundation.org for more information about the incredible work they do and finding out how you can support them also of note prashanth Iyer has written his 2022 version of what i would do if i were steve eiserman uh part one of four actually i should say and it's up on it's currently up on Patreon for advanced access. It is to be released on wingedwheelpodcast.com, so stay tuned for that. Prashanth was freakishly close, if not dead on, for so many different things last year with contracts. So I'm really excited to see what comes with this one. I've only read part one as well. And there's like a divergence here. Read, Go read the first part. You'll you'll know what I'm talking about, and it's uh, it's a great read. And happy to offer that to our patrons first as our way of saying thank you for supporting the show. All right. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings, there's a good number of them uh, off at the World Championships, and most notably, Moritz Sider played a game against Canada where Germany lost 5-3. Sider scored a goal and two assists, so factored in, factored in on all three goals, was not on for a single, what was it, single even strength goal against? A single goal against, period. Yeah, he was plus one, and he led Germany in ice time with like 24-ish minutes played. So Germany is the Red Wings. Yeah. The <laughs> yes. season never ended for him. <laughs> no. He's kind of a machine, right? Like, do you think he just got in the room after got in his stall and just had that thousand yard stare of like, it never ends? I think it's either that or he's very much like the golden retriever downstairs, like just happy to be here, <laughs> <laughs> just vibing, doing his thing. And the hair energy. For it. He does have the hair for it. Oh, yeah. He might be a golden retriever. Yeah. Off season content. One of you freaks, not us, because we're not clever enough, do the, uh, if every Red Wing was a dog, Cider is a golden retriever. There's your start. Uh, well, Bertuzzi would be like a bulldog. No, he'd be something way le- – he's like a boxer. He would be a boxer. The missing tooth is what does. The missing tooth. Oh, that reminds yeah. me of Ollie. I miss him. Yeah. Yeah, Bertuzzi's definitely a boxer. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There's your first two. Um, okay, very quick note here about Calder voting. I, I had a few people ask, and I think maybe we didn't do a good enough job clarifying. So we talked about the finalists announced. So again, the Calder finalists uh, are Maurice Sider, uh, Bunting out of Toronto, and Zegers out of Anaheim. So that is not like a panel of NHL experts deciding which were the three best rookies that are then voted on. The votes are already in. Everyone with a ballot could vote for any eligible rookie in its first through fifth place votes, right? You're allowed five guys on your ballot, one, yeah. two, three, four, five, and then each number is associated with a certain number of points. I think it's just inversed, and then total points wins. Yeah, exactly. So what they did was announce the top three in no particular order um, point getters in the voting. So the NHL already knows who won. 
the voting is already in, that's already been decided. All of that happens before the playoffs. So when they announce finalists, they're essentially just drumming up the excitement to tell you who's eligible to win in the top three. So Cider, Bunting, and Zegers were who were the actual top point getters. So that, so, so had Michael Bunting actually won a playoff series, it wouldn't have impacted it at all. <laughs> yes. I saw the joke right away after Toronto lost. They were like, poor Bunting. How many more opportunities is he going to get before the end of his career? <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay. Uh, let's just jump right into the meat and potatoes of this episode. The 2022 NHL draft is fast approaching. As you'll know from the draft lottery, the re- lottery, the Red Wings are in a peculiar position with eighth overall. They could have a lot of great players fall to them. The Red Wings could reach back to, you know, 15 to 25 range and rankings or beyond. Uh, a trade back is an option. A trade up could be an option. So what better uh, thing to do right now than to bring in one of our favorite draft experts, Will Scouch of Scouching, to talk about his interpretation of the 2022 NHL draft and a little bit of 2023, um, what he would do for the Red Wings at eighth overall and what he anticipates being available for the Red Wings. So always a great conversation with Will. Without further ado, our annual scouting draft report. Enjoy. Long overdue. Will Scouch of Scouching back on the show. The Red Wings are drafting eighth. We have a lot to talk about. Brad and I uh, and Evan and everyone else are very confused about what is going to happen in and around that range. So Will, we thought we'd have you back on. Thanks for joining us again, man. Oh, anytime it's a pleasure to be back happy to happy to see you again i will say we're we're really good at doing this thing now i think we have a good routine and uh you know not a lot of prep is needed and things just flow naturally but we are still bad for getting so much good content out of our mouths before we hit record because we're just so excited to talk prospects good to know yeah good to know same well, well it's, a family, um, it's a family friendly podcast so not everything before we record could go live right yeah yeah lots of kids in the car so will why don't i open it up with this um we've been leading up to the 2022 nhl draft for what seems like forever now and and this is more or less back on the usual cycle of when drafts are supposed to happen so approaching this draft what are your thoughts on the strength of the top 10 of this draft class what uh to expect coming in and and what a team like the red wings can expect with the kind of range that they're gonna have um you know it's hard to I'm never usually much of a fan of looking at a draft class before the draft and judging whether or not they're good or bad, but I do look at this draft and see a lot of players with a kind of similar to last year, but I'd say it's even more extreme with very wide possibilities with where they could go, depending on who picks them and what they have in store in terms of what they're planning for them. I think this draft very quickly gets very close, like very even. Like the first, I'd say the first three guys on my list, one of whom I'm irrationally a fan of. After that top three, it it drop it doesn't drop off, but it it's like a very it's very it's a bit of a it's a bit of a drop, and then it's very even I think for a very long period of time. Like I I could easily see guys that I have ranked as far back as twenty twenty five going in the top ten. Like I just I depending on what you're looking for, depending on how you want your NHL team to play, like all kinds of different things could factor in. Um, so I, at this point, like nothing would really surprise me, and I, I like this is the draft where I keep telling people. You know, I get questions all the time. Like, what should the who and what should so and so do it for? What should so and so do it five, six, seven, eight? And my thing is just, I don't know. Uh, if someone that I like a lot is there, then sure you draft him. But open the market and see what other people will want for, to trade up. Like, if, if that's a, if there's a market there, like I'd explore it because there's a lot of guys in this draft. Like I'd say, you know, there's a lot of interesting projects later that you could pick up. 
but in terms of really good talent up top, there are some that I like more than others, but there's a lot of different guys that can play a lot of different roles and 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 could have an NHL trajectory that that makes a lot of sense. But there's a lot of guys with a lot of flaws that that hold them back and and might limit their output. But it's it's a tough year to read, I think. Uh, you know, last year I thought was a little bit stronger, like especially at the top end, guys like Brant Clark, Simon Edmondson, all that. Like I saw the flashes of upside in those guys that I just don't really see out of a lot of guys this year. And there's just a lot more question marks, but. I think there's a lot of interesting ways you could go more than anything. So we are June, July, two months out, just under two months out, actually, which is eons in terms of uh, the draft world and how fast things change. So yes. as things are today and knowing that the Red Wings, barring any trades or drafting eighth, what do you see as a within the realm of possibility, best case scenario for them when their pick comes up on the board? <sighs> The name that came up a lot was uh, Matthew Savoy, and and we talked about him really briefly before recording, but I, I don't know if he's like a perfect fit for Detroit. He's a risky player. I think that he'll be a great junior scorer. I, I still wonder what he'll do in the NHL, but he's a guy where I look at him and I look at what the Red Wings kind of have in their system, and they have like a guy like Dylan Larkin already on the team, right? Who's Who's, you know, a leader on the team. He's been there forever. And I get the feeling that if you put those two guys together, you know, try to make a mentor out of Dylan Larkin for a guy like Matthew Savoy, there could be something there. Like this, just a speedy, aggressive, intense offensive center, you know, with some skill and good finishing ability. Like you could get that, I think. And, and I bet Matthew Savoy could be available at eight. Like I've heard a lot of different things on him. Some people really, really, really like him and, and think that the issues that he has are fixable. Other people think that he just can't score in the NHL. Like just the way he is, it's it's unlikely that he'll be as impactful as people have thought. Um, but if you wanted to sort of change directions, I mean, guys, you know, it depends. Again, it depends on kind of what you're looking for. You know, if you want someone who can finish, you know, a really, really good shooter, if that's what the Red Wings feel like they need, a guy like Jonathan LeCaramaki probably will be available there. Might be a little high for me, but I understand why a team would draft him that high. Um, if you want to go defense, I doubt you're going to get David Juracek or Simon Nemec just based on what I've heard. Like, I just don't think he's they're going to be there. I doubt it um, at eight. But, you know, after that, you could Kevin Korchinski with Seattle. He's an interesting, I mean, I don't know if he gives the Detroit Red Wings something they don't really have. Like, he's sort of a puck carrier, skilled, you know, really heavily leans offensively, I think. Like, needs to work on the defensive side of the game. And I know that, you know, Detroit does have guys like Edvinson and, and Sider who are already pretty well refined defensively. And you don't really have to worry about them. So maybe Korchinski could be your sort of secondary power play guy or something and, and, and something down the lineup there. Um, I, I love Brad Lambert and I'm almost going to guarantee that he'll be there at eight, but I doubt, I doubt that NHL teams have him that high just because I, I feel like I'm on an Island with him and, and I think everyone else in their dog has him way later than that. And I feel like that's more likely based on what I've heard from people. Um, uh, but I, I won't say it's impossible. There's, but again, like the whole point with this draft is at eight, I, I don't think it's going to be like someone really, really high end is going to fall to eight. I doubt that that happens, but you'll have the option to add of a, a pretty good role player, like a like a really solid, maybe middle of your lineup guy um, who has upside to be more. Like there's lots of upside, I think, with a lot of these guys, but the there's there's flaws that will you know hold them back from sort of getting there. I think. So I'm actually glad you finished with that point um, and kind of coupling with what you said earlier about 
once you get past the top few in the draft, having this huge cluster of interchangeable players in terms of talent level. Is this the draft maybe teams can get a little more choosy with position or skill set? Um, you know, if a team needs a playmaker, if a team needs a center, because obviously with the Red Wings, it's no secret. They have needed to find a second line center for the last, you know, since Datsuk retired. Um, so is this maybe the draft that it's like, all right, if you're Czech, Nemec, Cooley, they're all gone. Do we just look at Savoy, Geeky, Nazer, Goche, et cetera, et cetera, and go, okay, let's just pick the best center here or is it still a good position to go best player available i i never ever will advise someone to draft on position i never will do that like it's i find that unless you're like unless there's three guys that are nhl ready and like lights out nhl players and they're a winger a forward and a center and a, a winger a center and a defenseman and your team has like six ultra high-end defensemen or whatever then maybe it might be something. But like the, the problem that I have is, you know, are we expecting the Red Wings to be true contenders like next season? Probably not. Like they'll take a step, I think, but I don't think it's reasonable to expect like a playoff contender. So I am never, ever a fan of, of drafting for need because what your needs are now could be completely different in two years. It it, it could be completely different. And I, I think that you can always... If you identify someone that you really, really love and and they are what you believe is the best player available and you already have a bunch of scoring wingers on your team, who cares? Like if you if it, why let that player go somewhere else? Right. Like you can make moves, you can sign free agents, you know, Detroit has some money coming off the cap over the next little while. Like you can deal with that and and, and, and build with that. Um, you know, how many teams need teams with cap space to give decent players away for very low cost on the dollar. So I always look at it as going, just draft the good players, like just draft the good ones because drafting on need, you, you, those things can change very, very quickly. Um, and, and you're good. So you don't want to be in a situation where down the road, you're like, man, we have a good second pair defenseman here, but boy, we passed on this kid who's playing second line with some other team and scoring 65 points. And like, we can't, we struggle to score, you know, like it's, it's, you don't want to be in that situation. So I always, I always think about it as just identify who you like and, and just take your shot. Okay. So then let's stick with positionality, but take a different spin on it. So beyond, let's say Shane Wright and Logan Cooley, one of the prevailing topics I've seen is a lot of the quote unquote centers in this draft are not sure bets to stick at center. Um, so of the guys who you think have a we'll call it reasonable shot to go in the top 10. Who do you think are the guys that have top 10 talent that are actually going to play center in the NHL? Uh, honestly, like Shane Wright, Logan Cooley, for sure. Uh, maybe Frank Nazer, but I doubt it. Um, uh, maybe Philip Mashar, but I don't think there's that many. Like, I don't think Matthew Savoy sticks at center. I mean, you could, I want to try it. I want to push him to do that because I think that's where he plays his best hockey, but I don't, I can see how it wouldn't work. Um, uh, but, but I think Logan Cooley's got enough in the tank to overcome the side, like his, I guess, lack of ideal size and Shane Wright. I, I don't think I've ever seen him not play center. I, I think he might've played wing at the under 18s, but I don't think that matters. Um, Anyway, but yeah, he's a center through and through. So there are, I don't think there are that many, um, but there are guys later in the first round, like Connor Geeky probably will end up a center. Uh, Yuri Kulik probably ends up a center. 
Um, I don't know, Marco Casper, probably a center. Jack Hughes, probably a center. There's a lot of them, but I don't think those guys are necessarily super, super high end. Maybe Geeky could be that, but there's a long way to go for him, I think. Let's chat a little bit about Geeky because he's a pretty polarizing prospect. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think, well, if this guy is a center, then that's a that's automatically within Detroit's range at eighth overall. But you just you just said you think he's going to be a center, but maybe eighth isn't the right value for him. Where do you land on Geeky, and and what are your concerns with him, and, and what do you think he can bring positively to the NHL? Well, he's one of these guys with that really, really wide net of possibilities, right? Like I look at him now and I see him overpowering WHL defenses, right? Like he's a big, rangy guy. I think that what I think a lot of people kind of, you know, throw him to the side a little bit too quickly without really examining what might make him so interesting. And he has, like, I call it practical skill. Like he has an ability to knock pucks down like in chaotic situations find escape routes get pucks to guys that you know can can move pucks up the ice he puts up really good data in the games that i track like i can't complain um i i still look at him and see a player who will probably be limited in terms of like projecting as an offensive player in the nhl like i i know he's already kind of like he's over a point per game but his team is also unbelievable and I also I, I look at him playing and, and he plays with guys like Zach Benson and Mikey Milne who are smaller but more dynamic and more offensive sort of pushing offensively but but Geeky's sort of the muscle that sort of drives pucks up the ice his skill level is not great in stride like his offensive transition skill is kind of more about just bulldozing the puck up the ice and and pres- and resisting pressure and I think that can project like I think he could be you know we I I, I again being in Toronto and seeing a lot of the Toronto Maple Leafs, like David Kampf comes to mind, like a really solid third line guy that can kill penalties. Maybe, you know, he has that close quarter skill where he can just get pucks out of danger. Um, There's a lot of interesting things I think he could bring to a team, but it's a matter of what value do you assign to a player profile like that? Obviously, if in the next couple of years, his ability to generate speed and generate power off through his feet and, and the skill level, all increase along with it i think he could be just a monster like he could he could you know if you have enough development and take enough time with him and and work on his you know pace and speed and all these things that could help him become more of a power center you know more of an offensive guy um then maybe but i just feel like there's a long way to go and i think more realistically he's a guy who will chip in offensively like he's a good sort of close quarters playmaker and and just sort of make simple little plays that work out um but he's at his best, like closing out defensive cycles and getting those pucks knocked down and getting pucks up the ice somehow, um, which is useful. So I can understand why people are pessimistic on him because they're looking for offensive players in the first round. But I can also see why other NHL teams might go, well, I mean, he's good. even if he's a good defensive center, like you get him at 10, 11, 12, 13th overall, like that's not the worst pick you could make. So it's about kind of what you're looking for. I, I, I'm a little more pessimistic because I like to take more risks and look for more offensive guys and and try to sort of have more of a fun vibe with how you play hockey, whereas Geeky is more of that traditional rock-solid middle-of-the-ice kind of guy who protects pucks well, you know, isn't the fastest or most skilled guy, but kind of still somehow gets the job done. It's just going to be a matter of can he do that in the NHL against guys that are a lot a lot of the time they're his size. Ryan, were were you getting the same vibe I was during that description? 
Does that sound like anybody familiar? Yeah, I, I knew what you were thinking. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> yeah, so we know Connor Geeky is going to go ninth overall because that's uh, where Michael oh. Rasmussen was drafted. Yeah. And you almost described him to a T there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember Michael Rasmussen when he was drafted, and I was not a fan of his. I, But the data case for Rasmussen, I mean, Geeky's data case isn't great in terms of, you know, him being over a point per game i think there's some smoke and mirrors there and but i look i look at at rasmussen and still i i don't i don't know he was more of a guy who scored a lot of goals just by going to the net and slapping away at pucks and getting rebounds and stuff doing that like good around the net and that was about it but i think there's a bit of a better set of feet under geeky you know i had rasmussen outside the first round when he was drafted i've got geeky in like the mid like early 20s so it's i think that i think he's got a little bit more to offer than a guy like rasmussen but I can see how you could see how that guy barks up the same tree. Um, yeah, because what you were describing is what uh, Michael Rasmussen has <laughs> improved right. into. So that, right. that's probably fares better for Connor yeah. Geeky. Yeah. All right. So we, we made you be uh, fairly pessimistic there. So um, I'm going to let you get on your um, soapbox oh here. Oh, God. Tell us about Brad Lambert. Oh, God. Okay. So <laughs> I think th- like last. So last year, uh, I was one of the few people who was still a cheerleader for a guy like Atu Ratu. And and he was a guy who I tracked his data in the Liga. I watched a lot of his games and I just felt that he was just a little off. Like something, like a little... I, I said that my thing I said all year last year was that he just needed a hug. Like he needed someone to just give him a, give him a talking to, be like, you know, we understand... Like he was under a lot of pressure to perform, you know, I feel like, and I felt like once the NHL draft is over and that whole hoopla of multiple years of hype get behind him, he's going to feel a little bit better about himself. And, and, and he moved to a different team as well, which I felt was another necessary move. Got, got top six ice time. I think he's their first line center now. And he, and it works for him. And he's been like a point per game player in the Finnish pro league, which is remarkable. So, so taking the the dub on that one as of right now, but then looking to, to Brad Lambert, I mean, I see a guy who, in terms of a combination of speed and skill, there's no one in the draft that I think is better than him. Like high high pace game, it's there. Even at even at low pace, he can solve problems, gets get pucks around guys, problem solve all kinds of stuff. Um, when he was playing center, especially with Yveskalo before he moved to Lottie, he was one of the best transition players that I have like ever tracked in terms of getting pucks out of the defensive end into the offensive end, doing it against men, playing with speed, playing with pace, you know, just, just a machine. And yet there was no results to speak of for it. There was nothing. And it, and I look at, and I watch this guy, I watch him all the time. Cause I constant, I have like imposter syndrome. Like I constantly just cannot believe that this guy I like so much can't produce at all. And, and I don't understand how it happens. And I just can't help but feel that a lot of the problems with him are not, come down to him they don't come down to him like i watched him with yaveskala he was playing center most of the time his wingers were two guys that i think were in the ahl like last year and they were like bottom six guys and they are not very good they are slow and 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 more physical than anything so brad lambert would win an offensive zone retrieval like chase out a dump and 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 get that puck back no one's there and and it takes him valuable time to sort of wait keep possession of the puck and there's just nothing, nothing comes out of it. Um, he's moved to Lottie. They put him on the wing and that already kind of limits his game. He's a fast, you know, skilled open ice guy that at least that's, I'd want him at center, but I guess they wanted him just for his offense. 
um, but they can't break the puck out to save their life. Like they, he, he will have tons of space, make himself open, flying up the boards, and they'll just dump the puck in. And then it's sort of like a dump and chase situation where that's not a situation he's going to thrive in. But he goes to the junior team with Finland multiple times this year, not just at the World Juniors. He was at the Four Nations not too long ago. He's playing with younger guys who play this more modern game that, that focuses on possession and focuses on speed and skill. And he's one of the best players on the under-20 team. And he's 18 years old. So I still look at him and go, the right team seeing the right things out of him. Like, I look at the San Jose Sharks, for example. Even Detroit, same thing. And I look at those two teams and go, these guys have drafted a lot of these sort of skilled guys in the past. You know, guys like Jonathan Bergeron come to mind. You know, they've they've taken a chance on these guys. I think that there is a role for Lambert up the middle for Detroit, for example, working off of the sort of wingers that they've already got to help them sort of generate more offense. Same thing with San Jose. They In 2020, they got Daniel Gustin, Brandon Coe, um, Tristan Robbins, and Thomas Bortolo. All four of those guys, I think, settle as wingers if they make the NHL. But those guys will need someone in the middle to transport that puck for them and to chip in defensively and, and help them play better offensive or play more in the offensive zone. So... That, to me, is a situation where it could work, but I, I keep hearing, oh, he's got hockey IQ problems, he's got hockey sense problems, and yes, I think those do come out a little bit, but it's gotten way better from what I remember last year at the under-18s when he was there, and I also feel like hockey IQ problems can also be his line mates have hockey IQ problems, and, and the guys he plays with don't really help him out a whole lot to produce, because, like, yes, I would like to see a little bit more out of him more consistently, but this is a team sport, and I feel like just like if he were in Saskatoon this year, I bet he would be shooting the lights out. That's a fast, skilled, fun team, and we would not be as pessimistic as we are on him right now. I, I just I cannot shake the feeling every single time I see him against junior competition. He's just dominant. So I don't know. I'm not too concerned about him. I, I have him at number two on my board. I like him more than Logan Cooley. Uh, which makes me feel crazy, but I watch those two guys back-to-back all the time, and I see a more intense 200-foot guy in Lambert. I see a higher speed, higher skill guy than Cooley, but Cooley is a little bit more dynamic, I would say. He kind of has a better read of how to generate offense. He can stop up, make plays, all that stuff, whereas Lambert is just kind of balls-to-the-wall, full-on go-go-go mode a lot more. So if you can sort of rein that in, I think it's entirely possible that you get a, a heck of a player there. And if, you know, like I get the feeling that if he falls to like 26 or something, Toronto's going to go and pick him up and they're just going to go, I don't know, this happened with Liljegren and it worked. So let's see what happens here. And like, if you lose, it's 25th overall, like no big deal. You already have enough guys. And if it works, then you might have a top six forward, you know, like it, 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 it I just, I don't know. I've watched him a lot and I just cannot shake that feeling. And I don't think I ever will. So you mentioned we we talked about geeky and he has a big range. You know, low. You think the floor could be low and the ceiling could be monumental. Talked about Lambert and it seems like that tuned up to ten. Are there any other guys that are worth even talking about if you're Eisman and the Red Wings who have that kind of you know swing for the fences? But if you hit, you're going to hit it to the moon kind of reward. A guy like Noah Oslin comes to mind. That guy is so much fun to watch. He is, you know, I get I get why teams are a little skeptical. He's, you know, a 5'10 natural center, and that scares people away. But I look at him, and I look at a guy like Braden Point, and I, I see, I know everybody talks about, oh, undersized centers, therefore you're Braden Point. But the, the with Oslin, he's got, like, I don't know, people, people were concerned with Braden Point's skating 
in his draft year, so to so to split up from what I heard. But I from what I've talked to other people, it's like not it wasn't that bad. It just got better. Like it wasn't terrible, but it just got better in the NHL. And I feel like with Osland, that kind of thing could happen. Like he's a really good skater already. You know, really really skilled. You know, I, I've heard people say he can't shoot the puck, but I certainly think he can. Really smart puck distributor. Um, there's a lot to like about his game, but I've seen him anywhere from as high as the top. 15 maybe top 10 at some cases but i've heard about him being like a third round pick and i can absolutely see why he you might see him as a third round pick he's small he's like 140 pounds soaking wet you know but he's really dynamic really really quick with his hands and his feet sees the ice really well works off line mates really really well um just has a lot to bring to the table it would be a massive reach i think for detroit at that range but I mean, if you trade down, um, you get a couple of first round picks or something for uh, for that for that pick or something, or you, I don't know, I don't know, maybe add a later pick and a player or something, I don't know. But if you think you have something at Osland, which I think there's a possibility, he could be one um, that I think could be reasonable in that range. Uh, outside of that, I mean, there's a couple of Russians that I really really like, but those are giant wild cards. No one really knows what to think. I think going into the draft about those guys, but what is promising, I think, is that. There's, I, judging by how many Russian players recently have signed their ELCs, like really early, like Alexander Kisakov signing an ELC seems a little unusual to me based on how I watched him playing this year. And it, you know, there's a couple of Russian guys that have like Kirill Marchenko has left. Um, a couple of guys just seem to be jumping ship over there. And I think their agents are kind of in their ear going like, you might want to think about changing your life a little here because... You know, so I wonder if that's happening in the NHL draft and, and teams are going, well, maybe we just draft some of these Russian guys, give them ELC and bring them over right away. Because um, like Gleb Trikasov, I think, is one of the better players in the draft, like it could be at least in terms of scoring. And Vladimir Gradinin, I think, is the most underrated defenseman in the entire draft. I've, I've just watched that guy more and more over the year and love him. But, you know, and Dan Milstein's their agent. He's been very vocal about how he feels about what's going on overseas right now. And... I imagine that he's probably in their ear being like, look, I'm your representative. I'm supposed to look out for what's best for you. And I think things are going to get worse before they get better. So you might want to think about just telling an NHL team you'll come over and we'll figure it out later or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any information on that, but just circumstantial evidence. So those, but, but, but Osland is the guy that I probably would think is like the boomer bust, like big swing guy that, that I think is better than some people think, but Definitely comes with risks. So I'm kind of glad you brought up the Russians because that was something I wanted to talk about. Obviously, between the agents and the players, it's it's going to be impossible to know what sure. exactly they're thinking, what their lifestyle is going to be. But NHL teams tend to be a little more predictable. So, you know, if what's the vibe, I guess I'll call it, that you're getting around the hockey world about, you know, a guy like Danila Yurov, who's probably a top 10 talent are our teams going to let him slide to 15 20 later because he's a russian and the uncertainties and um obviously there's a, a handful more guys that could go late first round second round but yeah the one that i'm specifically curious about i mean i would imagine that nhl teams are like it would be kind of dumb to assume what he's gonna do if you're an NHL team, like, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they do their due diligence and, and do the research on this. Like, I got the feeling that I don't know who represents Danila Yurov. Um, again, it's, it's, it's really tough because these guys are 17, 18 years old and you're still very young. 
and you never know who's in their ear, right? Like if they have a Russian agent over there who's like, no, everything's going to be fine. Like this is all just made up nonsense. Like you're going to be a star in the KHL. You'll make millions and millions of rubles, like whatever. Like it, don't, don't listen to the NHL teams. Don't whatever. Like blah, 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 blah. Like all that crap that probably is being thrown around over there in, in those circles. But on the other hand, you might have people who are more Western-based, and they kind of push them in the other direction. With Yurov, I mean, I, I get the I, I like he's the star boy for Metal Magneto Magnetogorsk. Like he is the the young starlet, and they I think that they would probably prefer if he stayed for a while. And like the thing about Russia is that if you have money, you can do pretty much whatever you want. So if it, if it takes money to keep him. Then and NHL teams know that. Like if they're talking to his agent and they're like, "We just got a new contract from our team. Like we're not going anywhere. Like we're gonna stick it out here and and whatever." Then that could drop his value. But if all it takes is one NHL team to get on the phone with their agent and be like, "Look, day one, we'll give him an entry level contract. We'll give him a chance to win and win in 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 the NHL. We'll give him a chance to play. But if he doesn't, we can send him back to the KHL or something or loan him. I don't know if that's possible." Um, but from what I have heard, again, just through the grapevine, like people are more pessimistic than sort of optimistic. But again, considering how much things have changed since this all started at the end of February, and we're still a month and a half away, like so much can change. And and there are still things happening in Russia that are sort of cascading slowly to make things a little bit greasier. And at a certain, it's going to be at a certain point where people realize, like, oh, maybe I should get out of here, or maybe I, I like, I was reading, like, like a few hundred thousand Russians or something, or even more, have already left the country. Like, they just, they just are gone, and a lot of them are like the educated, skilled people who they def, they desperately need, and if that includes high-level athletes, like, I could absolutely understand how that could include high-level athletes at some point. Like, we're already seeing it with NHL contracts. So, short answer is I don't know, um, but in my view, I would treat it as like you have to have good relationships good relationships and like build those relationships and trust and say like look we want what's best for you we think you're great and and we want to bring you over so if i'm thinking about it through that lens i rank guys based on that so i go how optimistic am i about this guy and how hard would i push to convince them that that this is the right way to go you know like if there's a russian where i'm kind of like i'm not super high on him i don't know they're good but like eh, i'd rather not take the risk then i'll move him down a little but there are certain guys where I'm going, yeah, you know what? Like, love these guys. Think there's a lot of potential. Let's get on the phone and, and see what we can do. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you got to do that homework before the draft. Talking about the draft, and, and let's get into the second round a little bit here. The Red Wings own two second round picks for the next draft. There's in Washington's. Um, and we have the conversation every year. Which first round talents, whether ranked first round now and they slide, or a guy who you think should be ranked in the first round, but often isn't, do you think might be on the board for Detroit with a couple of those picks? Well, I think you can maybe not pencil, but like indelible marker in that one of them will be Swedish. Like, I think you can pretty much <laughs> guarantee that. So I think there's going to be a lot of Swedish guys available in that range that you could easily pick. Like, I mean, Noah Osland is one that probably will be available there. I could, that's a Jonathan Berggren 2.0 kind of swing, right? Just offense, 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 skill, 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 speed, 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 like see what happens. Um, Kali Odilius is a defenseman playing on the same team, played great at the U18s, probably will be available in the early second, like with that early second Detroit has, I could see that. 
Um, who else? Matthias Havlid just had a great under 18s. Um, I've been watching him all year and have really, really liked him. He's a guy who has some flaws for sure, but as a potential offensive defenseman that could quarterback a power play or something like there could be something there as well as a, as a second round pick. Um, other than, other than that, I mean, like there's a lot of guys that could be there in the second round, like maybe, uh, I don't know, an Owen Pickering might be a guy that slips. I doubt it. I doubt he slips through the first round, but it's possible. Cause he is pretty much a, who knows pick like he's got potential, but there's a bit of a ways to go there. Like you, I think when he was drafted in the WHL, he was listed to like five, seven and now he's like six, five or six, six. And so he plays like he's five foot nine and defensive, like with skill and, and pushing offensively a little bit, but he's gigantic and, and it's very awkward at times watching him, but that if he grows into his body and figures it out, like he could be a huge upside pick. So that makes me think he'll be gone, but you never know. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Like, I doubt after the under-18s that Yuri Kulik will be available in the second round, but he'd be an easy pick for me in the early second round. Just a goal-scoring 200-foot center. I, I've been a huge fan of him all year. Uh, who else? Um, maybe you could take a swing on a guy like Ty Nelson. You know, an offensive defenseman. Might He'll probably be a second-round pick, I would think. Maybe with that second first-round pick, you could pick him. Uh, he, he. I just have heard very, very, very mixed things about him with with from all over the spectrum whether it's oh he's undervalued or oh he's overrated and like more of a third fourth round pick and you see what happens um so there but there's going to be a lot and i again i never in a million years last year would have thought that logan stankoven would have been a second round pick i never in a million years would have thought that tyler boucher would have been a top 10 pick i never in a million years would have thought atu ratu would go late second round like there's always cases in the in the draft that i don't even expect and they and then you're sitting with, in my view, like an easy call to take a chance on a guy. So there could be someone I didn't even mention that I have ranked in the top 20 that, that could be there. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some, but uh, Gleb Trikazov is another one that I think could be an interesting pick for the, for the Red Wings if they aren't super concerned about the whole Russia thing. But I can't remember how often they draft Russians off the top of my head, but I feel like it's not super often. Well, the Red Wings themselves haven't been heavy on Russians, but Iserman himself has not that's been shy to take Russians. Yeah, so it's it's on the board. So um, I'm going to circle back to the top 10 because I'm going to put you on the spot and make you put your GM hat on. Yep. So your Steve Iserman, pick eights there. I'm going to handcuff you a bit. Let's say Wright, Cooley, Lambert, and the two defensemen are off the board. So we'll say your check and Nemich are gone. What's your what's your move? Who's your, who's your guy if those six are gone? Uh, well, I mean that assumes that Yuri Slavkovsky is still on the board. Who? Sorry, I, yeah, Slavkovsky. Okay, we'll take him off the he board. Was the sixth. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, an interesting idea to me might be a guy like Liam Ogren with 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 Sweden. You know, or with your garden in Sweden. He's you know, I think he projects really well to the NHL. He gives some crash and bang to the Red Wings that I think that they have tried to get in years past, but I think they just kind of undershoot. Like, he's a physical guy, but he's got skill and, and straight line pace. I think he projects to the NHL really easily. But if you want to go a little bit more risky, uh, Isaac Howard could be a really interesting swing there. Frank Nazer, I think, would make a really good Red Wing. You know, a really versatile forward but again, Nazer's another one of these guys that I've seen ranked lower and lower and lower, and I can understand why. But uh, assuming everything that you mentioned is off the board, like Joachim Kamel 
might be just the straight up best player available, but he's another one of these guys with flaws that I think could really hold him back. Like he really reminds me of like an Alexander Holtz who was shooting from everywhere, didn't drive really good results, you know, still kind of figuring out how to score against North American competition. And I feel like Kamel could be one of those guys down the road, but one of him, he's probably the, the, the highest end guy that I think I would swing on at eight. But again, the fact that you asked me to like pick a name gun to my head and I've now given you a bunch probably leads me to believe that like I'm picking up the phone and seeing what other people will offer me for that pick. And I just move back. But if I had to pick gun to my head, like highest upside, biggest name, probably just go for the swing on Matthew Savoy hope it works out he can play up the middle if he doesn't work out there i feel like he'll play on the wing no problem uh even if he's a third line five on five guy second unit power play guy but he puts up you know 60 points a year or maybe 55 60 points like that's that's okay like he did okay so but i think the potential is is a lot higher than that there's just stuff he's got to work on but a lot of these guys have those issues so one topic here to um to round us out and I apologize in advance because I'm going to stretch beyond the world of scouting for a little bit, but but it does right. tie in. 2023, you have Bedard, you have a now complicated situation in Michkov, you have Fantilli. You have a lot of names there, but those top three, especially Bedard uh, and Michkov, are potentially franchise-changing talents. From what you know of the Red Wings' current situation and where they fell in the draft lottery this year and, and where they might fall next year, what would you do? If you had the choice to run how this team is going to change in the offseason, do you gun for that 2023 lottery pick or do you think that's too far out of sight for Detroit? I don't I don't think the Red Wings fans deserve that. Like they've it's been a long time where the Red Wings have been this sort of in the lottery but not drafting super high cuz you can't you can't win. Like you just keep losing over and over and over again and it must suck. Uh but at this point like I I also I also like I've come around like I get it the whole tank and and be bad kind of thing is a strategy that teams have employed and and definitely has been a thing but there's a way to go about doing it and I feel like you don't want to just lose for the sake of losing just to get a chance at this pick right like the you you even if you're the worst team in the National Hockey League you have an 82% chance of not getting Connor Bedard like, I don't like those odds, right? Like, I would much rather start building a culture in Detroit, which you're already doing, right? Like, it's already happening where everyone understands that the team is not a contender, but everyone looks and watches the Red Wings play and they and they expect them to be working hard and, and, and trying to stay in all these games and these young guys playing and getting better. And you're expecting the team to take steps forward. So... I guess like the good way to tank is to do that, but then still lose, but you still are in it. But at the same time, that's a lot of losing the Detroit Red Wings have been doing like, and someone else is going to be out there just straight up tanking, right? Like the Arizona Coyotes next year, they're just not going to be good. Like no matter, they, they need to sign like 18 guys to field an NHL team next year. So th- no matter what, they're going to have at least a team that is a bunch of random guys that they've just had to go out and get. Detroit has this really strong sort of nucleus that has, I and from my view, kind of endeared themselves to Red Wings fans. And it just feels like, yes, you might get Connor Bedard, but just be like, again, just because you draft first overall doesn't mean your team is rescued, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't indicate anything. So 
I don't know. I I look at the Red Wings and personally, I just go, you know what? Go out and play. Like play every game hard. Try to win every game. Maybe if it, to me, it's more ideal to have a young group of guys work hard and play hard and, and squeak into the playoffs. You know, like the LA Kings this year, and just and just earn that that. And, and no one thinks you belong there, as opposed to make your team bad on purpose. Keep the young guys in the minors. You know, at this point, especially. You know, and 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 just hope that you have that 18% chance at Connor Bedard. Because someone else is going to try. And I just get the feeling that for Detroit specifically, I, I like next year's group anyway. Like, even if they do fall short of the playoffs, I feel like there's a pretty strong top end of next year's draft. But it's hard to say so early. Um, but I don't know. I guess I've, as the, the older I've gotten, the more I kind of go, yeah, like straight tanking and like trying to be bad, I think just sets a bad precedent in, in my view. Well, thanks for bearing with us on that exercise, Will. Folks, this has been Will Scouch uh, from Scouching. He does a lot of really, really fantastic work uh, giving insights into uh, the drafts of this year and beyond. A resource that we use and we hope you do too. So check him out on Twitter as well as his his YouTube channel. Will, thanks for joining us and until next time. Oh, thank you very much, guys. Good to see you. All right, welcome back. That was our conversation with Will Scouch of Scouching. I hope that has helped you zero in or broaden your horizons on who you want the Red Wings to take at eighth overall. I know there's going to be a lot of Brad Lambert truthers who are very, very excited after that. I don't know, Brad Lambert at two. What do you make of that? Strong name helps his case. Yes. Um, I'm not there yet. I get it. Like I absolutely get the argument for Brad Lambert and I agree with the argument for Brad Lambert. Mostly like, I'm not one of the guys who has him sliding out of the first round or anything like that. Right. But two, it's a bit rich, but I will is way better at this than I am. So for whatever that's worth. His name is Brad, which we don't like. Yeah. There's no Evan. Pro- Are there any Evans in the draft? There was last year in the draft. That was a fringe first round possibility. Yeah. Didn't go to Detroit. So, you know, what's funny is whenever I think of Evan Bouchard, I think of your face. He actually kind of looks like he me. does. eh? Huh. Yeah. I saw him the other night. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, okay. Bouchard's got that like look like his own face is putting himself to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's like Evan. <laughs> that's because I am asleep. Yeah. Okay, folks, we're going to talk about the playoffs. But before I do that, I first want to tell you that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sports book. They are simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. Plus, there are tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. The way it works is you just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Now, what we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel, FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fandle.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net, West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Want to start with a big one? Yeah. 
<laughs> the Toronto Maple Leafs were mere minutes away from winning a series and moving on for the first time since 04, just before the lockout. 2004. And uh, weren't able to do so. The series came back home for game seven and the lightning knocked them out in seven games with a two to one win. The Leafs in what I think is their best season in the modern era. By points percentage until ever. By points percentage, by their performance in the playoffs, by the construction of their team, by how much of their stars show up, and they still are out in the first round. Yeah, that that's... <laughs> oh, I feel so bad. <laughs> Evan logged on to Twitter, <laughs> typed two words, hit tweet, and closed his phone. <laughs> yep. LOL Leafs. Yep. Man. That's a lot of L's in those two words. Yep. Very fitting. See, I have a lot of thoughts on this series too, more so than any other Leaf series, but first your takes and like, man, I made the, like, okay, I, I don't like the Leafs. It's obviously we're Red Wings fans. We don't like the Leafs. So I can't say I feel bad for them, but at the same time, like this is the ultimate loser franchise because they on top, they, they're cursed. What else could they have done in this series? Their goaltending showed up. They're big guys. All of them showed up. Every, they played well. They were the better team than Tampa, at least analytically, in at least four of the games, depending on what. Even metric. watching the game. like Yeah. At no point did Toronto look outclassed in this series. Like There was a couple wonky games early in the series, but whatever. This looked like a series that if you ignored the score through it all, you'd been like, yeah, Toronto probably won that. Of course they didn't because it's Toronto. Like this is the team that finds new and creative ways to not get it done. Last year was the typical collapse three, one lead. All their key players shrivel up in a ball, shit their pants season over. That didn't happen this year. And they still lost. Mitch Marner was one of the best players in the series. Matthews is great. Riley was great. Nylander was great. Even Tavares, who was having a pretty weak series, woke up the last three games. Like I, more than anybody else would love to sit here right now and just rip the Leafs to shred player by player. I don't have any really legitimate criticisms other than once again, they didn't find a way to get it done. I understand back-to-back cup champs, Tampa Bay Lightning, still a really damn good team. So of course you're going to have to earn every little bit of it. And in the end they didn't, but holy hell, did they get close? Brad, uh, Brad, was it close? <laughs> was it ever? We all knew this was gonna happen. Yeah, that's that's you set your watch to this. A, I scheduled this episode four months ago. Yeah. A, a two-one game seven loss has never felt so lopsided. <laughs> um, my Brad, buddy, who's a somewhat of a Leaf fan, he turns to me. He's like, "The clock's just gonna run out in this game. It's gonna stay two-one, and the Leafs are just gonna run out of time." God, poor guy. <laughs> Tale as old as time. That's what happened. So Brad last episode said, we were talking about game six and Brad said, you know what's going to happen, right? Austin Matthews is going to mess up in the defensive zone. I think your actual words were shit his pants in the defensive zone. And Tampa's going to turn around and score and send it to seven and over T. What actually happened in game six was in an overtime where I think the Leafs were dominating. I had the zone wrong. Yeah. (laughs) In the neutral zone, Austin Matthews got turned around, essentially tripped over his own feet. Fell over. Tampa turned around with the puck. The play went into the Leaf zone, shot on net, whatever, whatever. And then a puck that was slowly crossing the line where it was Hall and Bunting 
could, both could have saved it and Bunting knocked it into they the net. Both knocked it in the net. Don't get me wrong. Once again, I am all here for Michael Bunting's slander. If Bunting didn't hit that hole, slapping it in too. Like it's <laughs> again, and and that's just one of those plays. Like that happens any other time, and you're like, oh, you know what? Who cares? Like you can't really be that mad. It was a desperation play. That's why Bunting like didn't. Get yeah, they're it. reaching for it. It's not in like it wasn't not a easy play. Yeah, but the fact that that sent it to seven in a in a game six where Toronto was like, I'm like, they look like much the better team right now. And in Tampa tied it with what under ten minutes left. So, yeah, I think that was the first time the Leafs lost in a way that's normal. Like <laughs> the way they blew the lead that per like that, the that blown lead against Boston will go down in sports history. It was 4-1. That was Leafs. The way they blew it against the Habs up 3-1. That was Leafs. This was a very typical NHL series with two fantastic teams where they both can't win. And sometimes the one who is better on paper didn't find the way to to clutch it out in those key moments. Like you said, Evan, you just have to find a way to Winners win. Winners win. Winners win. And this is like, this is a normal loss. But for Leafs fans, they can't take that. And I don't blame them. They can't take that because they have decades of Leafs losses before that. This is the first time they've lost it in a normal way. So how are they going to hear yeah, don't blow it up. Don't tear it down. You're actually on the right path. And most other teams in the playoffs, you would have it would have busted them open. I actually think like think about Leafs versus Edmonton. It wouldn't happen. You don't cross over conferences. But like think of the Leafs for so many other teams, but instead they get Tampa. I I don't want to say the Leafs have nothing to be upset about. Of course they do. You hate this. But that was close. That was the best I've ever seen them. That was the best I've ever seen them. Yeah, if you take the series in a vacuum and you forget all the hardship toronto has trying to win a playoff round you'd say oh this is just a learning year yeah yeah you gotta take the l this year just like tampa's taken it before colorado's had bad beats too you'd kind of just look at it like that but it's toronto so you can't no no you can't at all <laughs> there's yeah. there's there's history attached to their failure it's yeah the argument against everything we're saying is yeah, this is this core. They played good though, but you know, losing in the playing round to Columbus, blowing the lead against Montreal, blowing it in Game Seven against Boston two years in a row, they lost the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, like you've had your learning season was four years ago. They've lost a winner take all game in five straight seasons. They've seen it all, but unfortunately, it's only been in the first round. In <laughs> yeah, yeah, God, in their era of this playoff win drought. They have had 10 chances to eliminate a team. They are 0-10 in those games. That is unfathomably Especially bad. in a sport where it's like you could flip a coin any night and the other one team will win yeah. and the We're, other wouldn't. We we watched the Red Wings at like in a game this year get outshot 21 to 50 and win. Like you accidentally win games. Yeah. Like if you played us one team or a group of 10 games. And yeah, you shit your pants every game. It's hockey. You're going to accidentally win one. Your goalie's going to trip and fall into every puck. Like it happens in hockey. So the fact that they somehow went 0 and 10 are 0 and 5 in the, like consecutive years in winner take all games because of the stupid playing around. It was only best of five, but whatever. That's remarkable. There's no other. It's, what was it with the, um, the five years in a row winner take all. That's never happened in North American pre- professional sports. It was like what? Uh, MLB, NFL, NHL. NBA, and NHL. It's never happened. 
That's wild. That's absolutely insane. You know, the expected goals for the series for both teams cumulatively was 22.9 for Toronto and 22.2 versus Tampa. That's how close the series yeah, was. Feels it feels right. honest, the whole series just felt like a coin flip. Yeah. I want to say one thing, and I'm, I promise I'm not trying to be biased against Toronto. That was no, text- it's okay. You're allowed to do it. No, no, but I'm not even trying to be here. <laughs> that was textbook interference, right? Oh, yeah. The, the one Tavares school that got waved up? Yeah. That is a regular season penalty. Oh, fuck. <laughs> it's a penalty. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a fan of calling it like it is in the playoffs. I'm just saying historically that wouldn't be in a game seven, but it is interference. Yes. I, I said interference to my TV screen before Tavares turned around and shot the puck. That's how obvious it was. That was Did a you? nice. That was a textbook NBA pick. It was a beautiful yeah. pick. He, 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 the thing, and like, I think there's a version of the NHL where he could have gotten away with that. Regular just, season game 65 that. I think he could have done some things to try to sell the accidental collision more. It looked, and it was, he ran a pick. That's it. I will hear, I will hear the argument. Like there's a lot else that wasn't called, but uh, that just gets into like, oh. yeah. Was it a penalty by the rules of the NHL that they themselves set? Yes. So I have no problem with it. If you're going to call, if they're finally going to call the playoffs like the regular season, I'm not upset about it. Well, now there's the argument that they've gone too far. Okay. So they haven't got, I, I'm not getting into that. No. no. What What does Toronto do this offseason? Barry Trotz is available. They There's talks of moving Nylander. I personally think uh, Dubas, if he stays, and I think he will, is going to go aggressive after a Bertuzzi type. I'm using Bertuzzi because that's a familiar name. It doesn't necessarily have to be him, but I think they're going to look for productive grit in the playoffs. Yep, I agree. They should trade William Nylander for Tyler Bertuzzi. That solves two of the points you just made. Yeah. Um, well, they have a couple complications, the most notable one being Jack Campbell's UFA. And Peter Mrazek is still under contract for a couple more years. So that's going to be a tricky situation. <laughs> not age well. <laughs> Although, you know, Mrazek's going to be good next year for some reason. For like eight games. But um, so they have to get that figured out. Do they go big game hunting or are they happy with Campbell? I mean, I thought Campbell had a great year. He had a hiccup in the middle of it after the shutdown, but it's fine. Um, and he'll probably come back relatively inexpensive. But uh, yeah, no, I, if I'm Toronto, I'm I'm tweaking. I'm not overhauling. I mean, again, you take their history out of it. They just went toe-to-toe, one-goal loss, game seven, against one of the best teams in the NHL. The best team in the NHL for the last three seasons. Like, Again, if this was Carolina instead of Toronto, Carolina go, well, that sucks. Well, we'll get them next year. That would be the whole, like, yeah, it's fine. Leave fans not overreacting? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not even the fans. Who cares what the fans think? It's... Dubis has to keep a rational head here because this is when mistakes are made. You you have to be objective. We played well. Our stars played well. We got more points in this regular season than in any season in Toronto Maple Leafs history. Don't go overboard. If you want to make a big swing on a trade to acquire a superstar talent, sure, by all means, but you don't blow it up for the sake of blowing it up. You don't go trade William Nylander just because you're like, we need to change things. I mean, obviously I joked about Bertuzzi, but I don't know. Pick any other random superstar in the league. Not that this would happen and not that either team's shopping either player. But let's say the New York Rangers are shopping Chris Kreider for whatever reason. And the Leafs go, oh, we could use a Chris Kreider. And the Rangers are like, we're not making that trade unless Nylander's involved. And you work something out there. Okay. Yeah. But like, you're not trading one of these guys for the sake of trading them. Okay. Well, there's going to be a lot. I think we have to see the way things shake out in Toronto. 
Um, but let's talk about the other series that wrapped up. Edmonton, close it out. Hold on. Can we go to another series just because I have to make a segue here and it's going to be relevant. The loser franchise and the one who shook the label. The Florida Panthers. <laughs> Taking down the Washington Capitals, winning a series for the first time since 1996, and ceremoniously handing the Toronto Maple Leafs the longest drought. Thank you, Florida. Florida man does it for everyone. Thank you, Florida. And <laughs> and now we get the Battle of Florida. They actually hate each other, too. They oh. Blood in the streets hate each other. What If Calgary wins tonight, what's bloodier, the Battle of Alberta or the Battle of Florida? I don't know, man. Oh. Intra-Canadian rivalries are bloody. It's, I think, I think the battle of Alberta has always been bloody and we can count on that being an intense series. I think the battle, battle of Florida might be closer matched if we do like Calgary hasn't beat Dallas yet. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, we're we're reporting mean, before that game started. So we don't know Dallas could still win. Um, that'd be another weird nine, late nineties rivalry renewed. Right. Uh, but Florida and Tampa, I think are closer matched teams and that's how long they, they haven't been good at the same time very much. So this this literally could be ever up until series. the last couple of years. Yeah. Literally ever. Here's the thing. I don't think Florida handled Washington particularly well. I think Tampa just went through the ringer with Toronto. Brain point might be done for a while. That I I hope whatever tore or pop there wasn't at the insertion point. Like it looked gruesome. Yeah. Um watching him try to skate after was just like I can't even believe he tried. Very painful. I think I think this is a good news for Florida. Like, it's not a guarantee that they win, but they could find some time and some leeway here to get their act together or continue whatever they found against Washington. But Tampa's going to be no easy customer, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, Florida, you know, they were down 2 1 in that series. So they, right? And if I'm remi- remembering correctly, and they rattled yeah. off three straight wins in the playoffs against a team that has recently won a cup and also rattled off over 100 points in the regular season. That was not. They came back, and I think at least two, if not all three of those games, multi-goal deficits. Man, I, I understand Florida, uh, specifically their uh, was it their transition defense got exposed a little bit, but holy hell, man, that's that's an impressive win in the playoffs. Like I understand they're the heavy favorite, and they should have probably walked through Washington a little easier. But again, Washington was over a hundred points. Recent Cup champs haven't lost any key pieces from that team. It's I'm probably selling them very short. Yeah, like yeah. Everybody watched Florida lose that first game, and like Washington legitimately just earned it. And everybody just kind of had that moment of, oh yeah, right. No, this yeah, this kind of makes sense. Uh, Carolina prevailed over a wonky series with Boston, where at times you're like Carolina is going to absolutely blow them out, and then Boston finds a way to make it work. Went down to Game Seven. Carolina prevailed. I think this brings a lot of questions to mind for what's going to happen next for Patrice Bergeron. Um, he was sure acting like he's not playing again as that game ended. But uh, Carolina moves on. They prevail over Boston, and the winner of uh, Toronto, or sorry, Toronto, Pittsburgh, New York, who are playing right now, and I believe Pittsburgh is up three-two as we're speaking in the third period, um, is going to play Carolina. I think that's also going to be really interesting, but. That's not an easy matchup for Carolina. Carolina, who's always had good teams of late, but hasn't actually done the thing. Boston's not an easy beat. So that's kind of a, it's good for them to get the first round under their belt. Who says home ice doesn't matter? Yeah, no kidding, right? Home home team won every game in that series. Yeah. And almost uh, most of them were pretty decisively at that. Yeah. So 
Yeah, 12 and a half minutes left. Penguins up 3-2 over the Rangers, so we'll see that one, where that one goes. By the time you're listening, you'll know the results. And then uh, over in the West, like we said, uh, Edmonton won in Game 7 over LA. <laughs> that was the most lopsided 2-0 game I've ever seen. LA looked like they were a league below the Oilers that game, which is remarkable because LA played pretty good that whole series. LA, that is what Edmonton should have been doing to LA all series. Yeah. Based on who they have. Connor McDavid is already getting the LeBron treatment in that he is the world's best player so very often that we take it for granted. What he did in that game was like pissed off Connor McDavid is somehow found another level. He just embarrassed the Kings. He was on the ice for 20 of the Oilers' 26 goals in that series. Who else is going to score other than Dreisaitl? Dreisaitl, Yamamoto, Nuge. Those are and not K- names. Kane. Kane did. Vander Kane, Kane yeah, yeah, yeah. Did for them. Did you see him put up the uh, the seven? Boy, yeah, that McDavid, did, McDavid didn't like that. McDavid was. Did like, he actually not like that? I think he uh, some, he said something on the bench, if I remember correctly. But McDavid's I, dialed in. Like McDavid, he, I'm about to put it on record. I hate Connor McDavid. <laughs> that's that's loser attitude. No, because he's like, we need to. I play beer league with a guy like that who doesn't like when I chirp people, and it drives me fucking insane. McDavid knows they have to win a series before they can talk their shit, right? Yeah. Well, you got to go to game seven, and Vander Kane's just reminding everybody. Yeah. You you should legit see Evan chirp on the ice. So it's something Does to he, behold. Do you chirp a lot? There was a game when, when he was playing on uh, my beer. I'm of a little bit of a Brad Marchand. I yeah. sometimes, if I'm not in the game, into the game, like f- like not feeling like I'm going, I have to get into the shit a little bit. Okay, I so respect th- it. So we're playing. We had uh, we're playing a team. First time we've ever played this team. Nobody. There's no way I remember this. By the no, way, oh no, you will. I guarantee you will. Oh, I think I know the story. So. We're playing this team, and they have one guy who plays in Europe. He's yeah, really I know good, but he's he's a bit of a hardo, and he's a real hothead. And so we're watching him like first couple shifts, and we're like, "Oh no, we're in trouble." And then Evan goes, "Don't worry, he won't be here for longer than five minutes." And then Evan just starts getting in his ear. Guy gets himself tossed. Less he took than- a slap shot at our bench. Yeah, <laughs> he had the puck in the neutral zone, did like yeah. a one eighty, and took a slapper into our bench yeah. and got kicked out. But he made it six minutes into the first period. Evan, yeah. literally, okay. Evan. If you took the under on betting on how long Evan said he would get him kicked out, the under yeah. would have won. Speaking about clockwork, that, <laughs> that was clockwork too. So you're you're like a, I wouldn't say Tom Wilson, but no, not at all. But I, I just I need to get into the shit sometimes, okay. you know? I respect it. Um so we'll see how Calgary Dallas goes. Look, all credit to Dallas. If they grind it out and win, like I don't want to take this away from them. A lot of people are hoping for the Battle of Alberta, though. Uh, literally everyone. If Calgary loses tonight, they're immediately one of my top five most hated teams. I'll never because they stole them. that from us, right? Yeah. yeah. Edmonton was the one we were all looking at going, eh, they should beat LA, but it's Edmonton, so it might not happen. They got through. We thought Calgary was, was going to walk Dallas. And the then, fact that it's going to a seven is surprising. And then Jake Ottinger decided that he was going to goalie. And well, and nobody decided to score in that. Like, let's be honest. This series has sucked. It's it's the most boring seven game series I God, remember. Thank God Daryl Sutter's there to drop just some some nice. His interviews. Nice his, his press conferences are easily the best part of the series. Talking about baby geese in his backyard today yeah. or something. Nice day. Everybody's available tonight. Baby including me <laughs> what does that even mean <laughs> oh god give him give him a helmet man he's going in uh the blues take over minnesota four two six games I, I, 
we talked about it before. People who took St. Louis to go far, that was a sneaky good bet. Did you have to face the Avs now in the second round? But Who swept St. Louis last year. Still, Minnesota now. That, like, let, let's talk about that for just a quick minute here. Oh, boy. They have some questions this offseason. Because that whole cap, the, the buying out Parisian suitor kicks in. 12 point something million in dead cap space, I believe. They're, they're going to be in a pressed position. And Marc-Andre Fleury is a UFA. Kevin Fiala's do a new substantially bigger contract. Yeah, I'm sure Kevin Fiala will come real cheap. Yeah. Bill Guerin's going to have to do his best uh, Carolina impression, which is like demanding a short or uh, a low price on every deal. If you are a above average prospect in the Minnesota Wild system on an ELC, congrats, you've made the team. Kevin Fiala, like I know it's been talked about quite a bit, but Kevin Fiala is going to be ripe for an offer sheet. Oh yeah, they might Minnesota might just get ahead of it and trade him. Like their options are trade one of their big three on defense or trade him. Like very rare a lot of times when teams say, Oh, there's no way this team can keep all these players, like they can. There's always a way. It just requires some other trades, some depth moves, yada yada yada. Teams always find ways. Looking at Minnesota's situation, it's like, yeah, I don't see the way out without getting rid of a good player because on the upside they don't have a lot of bad contracts to try and unload right so yeah uh, i don't know what dumba's contract is but man if i really disliked his game over the past year and a bit one more he he got walked a few times this series one more year at six million he'll be that's movable (laughs) that's movable for sure like what's more valuable if you can sign kevin fiala to an eight-year contract or you want one more year of matt dumba and you have Spurgeon and Brodeen locked up long term. You have And that's a good core. Spurgeon, Brodeen, Fiala. You can you can work with that. You can build around that. They have the sickest flow with John Merrill. Yep. So actually, no, is John Merrill no, he's signed. He's got uh he's he signed at one point two for the next three years after the season. And Cam Talbot has one more year. Cam Talbot has one more year at uh three and two thirds million. That's All a- is not lost, but they won't have any way to get to maximize for another run like that the window feels like it's gonna need to wait it's gonna be a different shape for sure and we're gonna see bill garen's gm shops now he made his call and like i have all the respect for gms who say you know f it we're going for it all the power to you i think hockey needs more of that but with the current cap structure and with the very like he wasn't forced into those buyouts with the very significant buyouts he now has the repercussions. So we'll see how it goes. He's basically Mark Bergevin light. You can expect anything at any time, good or bad. And he could kill you with his bare hands. Good chance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, questionable history. We'll talk about how the rest of the playoffs unfold. We have, you know, one game seven with eight or more minutes left right now, as we record the stars and flames have yet to play. So well, next episode, we'll chat about that. Why don't we talk about some betting odds? And this is a segment sponsored by our good friends over at the FanDuel Sportsbook. We are going to chat about uh, some odds looking forward in the playoffs, maybe even some Stanley Cup odds uh, and going from there. Colorado. Colorado's at a plus 200. Colorado. You Who do you think has the next highest odds? In terms of like... Or most- next best odds. Based on how everything's went so far in the path, call me crazy. I would say Carolina. Carolina's third. Florida is at a plus 360. Carolina's at a plus 600. Florida is definitely a better team than Carolina in my mind, but I think Carolina might have the easiest path of all remaining teams. Maybe Colorado, 
but I really like St. Louis. I mean, uh, I don't th- think St. Louis is going to be an easy series. No, I don't think so either. And I don't like, hey, don't get me wrong. The Rangers Penguins series has been like unbelievably fun, but n- neither of those teams have looked like the powerhouse, the rest of the powerhouses in the East. No. Right. So Florida and Tampa are going to beat the ever living hell out of each other. I would expect Carolina to be able to win their series in less than seven games, regardless if it's the Penguins or Rangers. And then if they're lucky, you know, Florida and Tampa slog it out seven, and then Carolina walks in a little more rested into the Eastern Conference final. Whereas Colorado is going to might have to go through St. Louis and let's say Calgary or Connor McDavid. You know, <laughs> Carolina's path looks the best right now, even if they're not, in my mind, one of the three best teams remaining. And that matters, especially with the hard bracketed NHL playoff system that's yeah. in place, which for the record, I dislike at the very least, please recede, but I digress. Um, okay. Consider this Colorado versus the field, Colorado to win the cup plus one ninety eight. the rest of the field minus two fifty. If you're a big believer in Colorado, that's also not bad. Like it's essentially the same odds. So you could just take Colorado, right? Take plus 200. Yeah, but if you want the fee, if you don't think it's going to be Colorado, like there's, but you don't want to take a risk on just one team and you just think for for certain that Colorado is going to fall through, take the field at minus 250. I like I I really like the abs and, and are, like I said, arguably the, the favorites right now. But man, you can't not take the field on that one, right? Because you've got Florida, Tampa, Carolina, you know, Connor McDavid. Like, yeah, there's there is a lot of very different ways Colorado could not win a Stanley Cup here. Right. So. See, Florida at like plus 320-ish to me isn't that much more attractive than like say an Edmonton at plus 1100. I, I firmly believe Florida is a vastly better team and way more well-rounded, but... They're going up against Tampa. It's not an easy path. And I similarly, I wouldn't bet on Tampa. I, I yeah. just don't know who... who like, like you said, they're going to beat the, the piss out of each other. Uh, like I said, those Carolina odds look pretty good right now. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the, the battle of, of Florida... Florida's a favorite at minus 146 against Tampa's plus 122. That series is a coin toss, so sure, take the underdog. You you take Tampa as the underdog? on From a betting standpoint, yeah, because it's, it's, a, it's a coin flip. I'm taking Florida. Ah, I forgot one key part. Tampa potentially without Braden Point. No Braden Point. I saw, I saw how they yeah. played against Toronto. They looked... Look, I know gassed is the easy answer, but they looked like they didn't have it at all times. Like not all for, for all 60 minutes. They didn't really show up for every game. Vasilevsky showed up for game seven as he does. But besides that, he wasn't perfect that series. I'm taking Florida at minus 146. I'm definitely taking, putting my money on a Russian goalie to win this series. Yeah. This, oh, so Spencer not, Knight? Not Spencer Knight, huh? No, not Spencer Knight. Tampa Chase And Brian Elliott can go right to hell. <laughs> you know for a fact because he said that he's going to come back and win this series. This Game seven in this series is somehow going to end up Spencer Knight versus Brian Elliott. Yeah, minus one forty six. Those aren't that bad odds for the favorite. I no. I I, I kind of like Florida there. Yeah the the problem Florida had is they had one power play goal in the series against Washington, which is horrendous. Their power play was incredible, and they somehow inject Aaron Ekblad and they go ice cold, which makes absolutely no sense to me. But um, I I almost look at that as uh, a a good sign for Florida. Like that's not sustainable to be that bad. Yeah. And exactly. they still won the series. That was what my whole point yeah. was. That I was slowly getting to it. Yeah, and I think 
Claude Giroux has been a revelation for them. Oh, I think God. he's played 30 games. He got 24 points for them, and he was huge in the final game. Um, and they're getting a legendary performance from Carter Verhage right now. So if the cons my guys, favorite, yeah, yeah, the other guys kind of just raise their level to the level it should be at. Um, no Braden point is going to make it very tough for Tampa to and stay in the series. Thirty points in twenty-four games for, for yeah. Drew, yeah, so even better than what I thought it was. Yeah, and it's worth noting that Florida, as I mentioned, their biggest weakness as a team is their transition or rush defense, whatever you want to call it. Braden points Tampa's best player off the rush, so that's that definitely plays. Even if he plays, he's definitely not going to be playing at a hundred percent. So the uh, <laughs> so the odds. As we wrap up the segment, the odds just locked on the screen in front of me. And I was like, oh, what happened? Uh, the Rangers tied it up. Mika been a Jed. Four, 420 left to play. Okay, we got to wrap <laughs> this episode up. I got to. I am not missing a game seven overtime. 420 left to play. In we'll, the see you, we'll see you Wednesday, everyone. 3-3. Three, three. That is our uh, FanDuel segment to take a look at some betting odds. And I'm sure things are going to change wildly by the next time we chat. Okay. Uh, why don't we jump into overtime here so we can get out of here and talk about or watch game seven i i love game seven overtimes it's got to be heartbreaking for those those uh fans but as a neutral observer this is just a gold mine of content of like as a, a hockey fan to watch this okay we're going to jump into overtime which is brought to you by our patreon supporters uh they're the reason we're able to do the show um record twice a week give you these draft previews talk about the playoffs and just generally dunk on the leaves so thank your local winged wheel podcast patron and if you want to join the dub dub club join the discord uh, get some other benefits like advanced access to things like Prashant's article, uh, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Okay, let's take a few questions here as the screen loads in front of me. Um, Nick Geyer says, I got into it with some of the boys on Leafs Twitter. Ryan, don't scold me. Nick, you got to do better than that. And some people genuinely believe that Gary Bettman doesn't want Canadian teams to win the cup because of ratings and whatnot. How could you come to this conclusion? Two of the possibly greatest offensive players to ever touch a puck play in Canada. They are your ratings. Uh, Gary Bettman's a big fan of money, so he definitely wants Toronto to be successful. If Toronto wins, the league makes infinity dollars. Yeah, yeah. The amount of money coming out of Toronto for the NHL is ridiculous. Whether people like it or not, through revenue sharing, Toronto props up lower income teams. Cough, Arizona, cough. Of all the crazy Gary Bettman conspiracy theories that are going around the hockey world for decades, there's only one I kind of believe, and it has nothing to do with a Canadian team or a Canadian market. So it's he he wants money, so he wants them to be successful. You uh, Tread of Hockey Town says, any chance Stevie trades some of those fourths to move up higher in the second? I feel like we're at a point where we need quality over quantity. I would agree, but there has to be a willing partner. Like this is okay. I'm sure we're going to get this question a billion times over the next few months. Like, and it's a fair question. And it happens all the time. And when a team stockpiles picks, it's basically the only question going into a draft beyond who are they going to pick? Um, every team will have a board and they'll have their players and they are not calling about a trade up unless one of those guys falls down the board. If the Red Wings have their top 45 on their list and by the time pick 47 rolls around, all 45 of those guys are gone. They ain't calling anybody for anything. So it's impossible to know because if the board falls in their favor and they're sitting there in the middle of the second round and, you know, whoever Ottawa's coming up to pick and Detroit doesn't pick for a while and it's like, oh, our guy is there. 
like, hey, Ottawa, what's it going to cost to get up like three, four spots or to, you know, whatever. Yeah, it, it could happen. It should happen. That's what good GMs do. But there's no way. I'm not even saying no way to know. Steve Eiserman doesn't even know if he's going to trade up or not going into this draft. There's at that point, you can use those force to get a fourth and a fifth next year to move back like 20 picks in the fourth round. There's a million different things you can do. Uh, next question here, and I think this is an interesting one that I, I'm I'm excited to answer. Josh Brink says, why do we still have to delay a game penalty for puck over the glass? It's the same outcome if the puck hits the netting versus going over the glass, but one is a penalty and others not. It's like they'll run out of pucks. just seems like a kind of silly rule. If you fire it over the glass into the netting, you're getting a penalty. It's, yeah. It, just to clarify, if it goes over the glass and you're in your defensive zone yeah. and you fire it and it hits, it goes out of play unobstructed unless it's in the player's bench then it's a penalty. But I want to call back to something, and people who, who who have been watching for a while will remember this. Goalies, and one Dominic Hasek was, I think, notorious for this, used to delay the game in his own zone by firing the puck right up over the glass. Yeah. Like, not even subtle about it. No. It was a time-wasting strategy. And, to, you know, some defensemen were good at it. They would just bomb it. Bomb it. They wouldn't try to deflect it off the glass. No, they would just bomb it into the stands, <laughs> into row 45. <laughs> like, it, it's... You need to, they needed to put something in place. As as much as it's frustrating when it gets called, the alternative was worse. Yeah. In, in my opinion. And if you get into the whole, well, was there intent? That's a whole subjective road I don't ever want to go down. Um, Coyote season tickets in Tempe says, would Toronto significantly benefit in your collective opinion by trading Nylander or Marner in order to get into the top five of this year's draft? No. Their lack of depth on right-handed D is striking and getting a Nemich or a year check on an ELC while alleviating some cap space could be just what they need to take the next step. I don't think we appreciate how good Mitch Marner and William Nylander are. You, the odds of anyone in this draft being as good as Mitch Marner is very low. And Mitch Marner is in his prime now. So even if they get, you know, Nemich and Nemich turns out to be as good as we think he could be, he's not going to be that in the first few years, which is in the middle of Toronto's window. Toronto, whatever the trade position maneuvering they want to do, the one thing they cannot do right now is downgrade in talent, no matter the position. So if you want to trade Marner for a defenseman... Because that's giving up on your window if you do. Yeah, exactly. If you want to trade Marner for a defenseman, yes, absolutely. That is something that could and maybe even should be explored. I'm not saying either way. But if you're trading Marner, you're trying to trade him for Charlie McAvoy, not an 18-year-old guy who's never played in the NHL. No matter how good he could be. Um, Paul Denau says, Hey, Dub Dub boys, uh, which of the prospects at a crossroads coming into neck and coming into the season responded best? Ones that come to my mind are Wallander, Hannes, and McIsaac. Which ones are at a crossroads heading into next season? That's a good question. I think the way Bergeron responded to like feedback and what the team wanted from him was really good. I wouldn't say he was at a crossroads. So he was coming in with a lot of hype after a huge year in the SHL crossroads is probably not a good term. And it it probably doesn't apply to Johansson either, but I want to call out Johansson had an excellent season as well. Yeah. Um, And Edvinson's shadow to insider's shadow to like, yep. Prospects that are coming into a crossroads this season. Uh, Master Simone is the first one that comes to mind for me, especially with the transfer to Arizona state. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, this is his make or break year. Um, 
nobody else is. I'm going to say, I, I kind of got a gut feeling it's already passed, but I'll say Tuomisto. He's he's like if at he's the end of be, his window, yeah. If he's going to be back in the conversation, he needs to have a big year. And it's not out of the question. No, he absolutely could, and he's in the right program to do it. But, um, yeah, I, I, those are the two that immediately jump to mind because, yeah, the, the clock's ticking. Good call on Wallander. I, I think that's a really great – like, Wallander to start the year, we were like, oh, man. Oh, man. And it was especially rough looking at who was drafted after him. And then the way he bounced back was, like, phenomenal. One more question here before we get into Patreon exclusive overtime from Ryan Leach. Would you guys ever consider going abroad to watch hockey? <laughs> yes. Please, yes. For London, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Probably someday we are going to be in Arizona. Sweden. I just have one big hurdle. You're banned from Sweden. I'm a poorsman. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Evan, Evan will eventually gain. I'll, really I'll hide out in Evan's luggage. We'll, one, of, one of his many, many bags that he'll be bringing. Uh, Brad and I did steal Evan's credit card one day, but he has one of those annoying six digit pins. So it's going to take us a while to brute force that. Wait, we're up to four. Well, when we go to Arizona, I'm bringing my golf clubs. We're going to Arizona. This is news to me. There is. Did you buy season tickets to the Coyotes? And oh not tell my us? god, I can't afford those. <laughs> yes, you can. No, <laughs> sell your golf clubs. No, I can't. <laughs> all right, folks. Uh, we're gonna. We want to watch Game Seven OTs. So we're gonna wrap up this episode. Thank you to all of you who have listened. Uh, new or old listeners, thank you. We really, really appreciate it. Um, the sponsors of this episode: the FanDuel Sportsbook, all of our patrons, our name level supporters on Patreon: Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Ake for the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the Number Sixty Nine Crying Ryan Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong. And his ungodly body pillow collection. Matthew M. Rice. Batman should lose his job based on the Yotes. Change my mind. Billy Howell. Brandon M. Carl. Brutana Nanaluski. Chimmy. Chumbawamba. Not Chumbawamba. Citizen High Five. Coyote Season Tickets and Tempe. Craig Kibble. Daniel Garcia. Derek Enstam. DJ Denton. Uh, doesn't choose nut. I don't know if he just made me say something bad. Give blood fight. Probert, Hanali, Hassam Al-Qasem. I'd leave my wife for cider. Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the angry mob. Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Sean Levine, Stay Fresh Greech Bags, Wish.com, Zach Spring, Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam, Now I Finish Better Than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landis Cog, uh, ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W, Evan, 56, 56 degree loft singer. <laughs> That's good. Evan's parking garage. Um, Evan's bingo card. I'm not reading that. That's disgusting. I'm not even sure that's anatomically possible. Read you sick bastard. That's his name for the record. Oh, Jay, which he, that was great execution by him. The fact that both of you had to look to see what it was. <laughs> James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S, missing Vladdy more than ever, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Trevor Pebovar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. We're going to go enjoy some Game 7. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at 
Ryan Hanna WWP and at Hockey Town Evan.